You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. David, before he went out to face Goliath, King Saul said, you're only a a youth. This man's been a warrior from his youth. You can't go out and face him. And so what did King Saul do? King Saul gives little David his own personal armor. David clangs around in it for a few minutes and goes back to Saul. He says, I can't go in these. How was David used to going? By faith. He had a physical sling, but more important was his spiritual armor. King David is probably best known for slaying a giant, but he didn't stand before Goliath with the biggest armor or the best sword. He faced that giant with spiritual armor, armor from the Lord. Pastor Danny will teach in today's message on the importance of facing life by wearing the armor of God. You wear the armor of God so that you might be able to withstand the evil and dark things. Are you facing evil with things of the world or are you facing it with what the Lord provides? His provision slays giants. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 28, as he begins his message, winning the present conflict associated with the kingdom of God. We've been studying and talking about the kingdom of God, even though there are other things we could talk about in regard to the kingdom of God. This will be the last in what's become a series on the kingdom. And today uh, we go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And while in these verses I'm going to read, the word kingdom does not appear, it's implied because we know we're in a conflict between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And so this last uh, message on the kingdom, I wanted us to be prepared for the daily battles because God has provided everything we need to win every battle. Verse 10, Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One translation says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, this dark world. And there you have the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness. We are a part of the kingdom of light. And there's a real conflict, a real battle between the two kingdoms, fight, war, struggle. And it's not a movie. (laughs) Please understand, it's not a movie. 
(laughs) Even though my family's favorite series, I think, The Lord of the Rings. When I watched my first one years ago, I thought, I don't know if this is appropriate for my kids. Because there's some serious stuff in there. But the more you watch it, the more you get the message. It's really the ultimate message between, well, it's the message of the conflict between good and evil. And it seems like evil might win, but ultimately, good wins. I know of no better verse to depict the reality of the conflict that's going on in a world that we can't see with our naked eye than Daniel chapter 10. Now, you don't need to turn to it. The context of Daniel chapter 10, Daniel has been given revelation from God about the prophetic future, but he doesn't understand what God's communicating with him, and so he prays. He even fasts and prays. And in answer to his prayers, an angel is dispatched from heaven in answer to his prayers. The angel says, Daniel 10 verse 12, don't be afraid, Daniel, which he was, and anybody is when they first see an angel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and that you humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I've come in response to them. But, catch this, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. The prince of the Persian kingdom, modern day Iran, ancient Persia. The prince of the Persian kingdom there is a fallen angel serving Lucifer And yet a powerful angel, a prince in the kingdom of darkness. So powerful that this good angel sent in response to Daniel's prayer in this conflict in the heavenly realms, he holds back the answer to Daniel's prayer for three weeks. Three weeks. You see, angels are created in ranks, and even the angels that are still faithful to God, some are lower ranking than others. And this lower ranking angel that's serving God is detained there by a powerful fallen angel serving the prince of darkness. Then Michael, one of the chief princes in the kingdom of light, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. If that passage doesn't depict and give us a picture of the reality of the conflict going on, I don't know any scripture that does. Look at what Peter wrote. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Let's be real technical with that who he's looking to devour. Let me tell you who he's not looking to devour. He's not looking to devour the religious person who attends church regularly, believes in God, but has never been born again. Saul of Tarsus was that kind of person. Religious, believed in God, knew the Bible, but he wasn't saved. Didn't have a real relationship with God. Satan is not looking to devour that person. He's already devoured them. He's got them. They think they're okay. But in the same way, he's got that little girl that at some point in life made a hard turn left, the wrong direction. And now she's selling her body down on US 19 
working for a pimp. And Satan has her. He has devoured her. But the religious person that doesn't know God is just as devoured as the prostitute down on the street. Let me tell you who he's looking to devour. The angels came before God. The book of Job records it. God says to Satan, he's standing before God. Where have you been? You know what he said? I've been roaming throughout the earth. What's he doing? He's doing exactly what Peter said. He's looking for someone to devour. You know who he wants, but God hasn't let him get at to that point? He wants Job. God is the one that said, have you considered my servant Job? Now, if you're Job and you knew that conversation was going on, you wouldn't be too pleased with the Lord at that moment. And Satan says, yeah, I'd like to get at him, but you put a hedge of protection around him. And of course, God allowed Satan to breach the hedge. He wants to devour those of us who are truly saved. Now, don't take this next point wrong. I've never been in the military, but I understand military strategy. I've read some about it, but I've seen more movies. In our fight as a nation against ISIS, who are our top commanders strategizing, scheming, planning to take out? It's not that they're not concerned about the person on the bottom that's willing to put their life on the line for the cause. But the ones we're really trying to get at are the ones at the top. They're the ones that are strategizing and scheming and planning and giving direction. And so it's not that Satan leaves any of us alone, but he's especially looking to get at those who are making the biggest difference. So if you're worth your salt, For the kingdom of God, your name probably comes up from time to time in hell. Simon, Simon, Jesus said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I wonder how many times my name has come up in conversation in hell. I don't know who wrote it. I found it in some old notes and didn't write down in my old notes who said it. But it goes like this. The devil has no moral principles, no code of honor. His demons recognize no Geneva convention to restrict or partially civilize the weapons of their warfare. Satan is utterly ruthless in the pursuit of his malicious designs. He's also cunning. Force and fraud form his chief offensive against the saints. And we need to understand. We need to understand how powerful he is. Some people talk about Satan, he's just, if he's some little flea or something that you kick around or just, uh, you know, a gnat that you just finger off, you know, no, 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 no. Jude, that little letter, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, if I read my Bible correctly, I'm going to suggest that Michael, in terms of his angelic rank, is lower than Lucifer. If I read my Bible correctly, when God created the angels, he created Lucifer as the chief among the angels. So by rank, power, Lucifer is more powerful than Michael. Now, somebody's going to write me a letter. You don't have to write it. I understand in Revelation, it says Michael and his angels fought with the devil and his angels, and the devil and his angels lose that battle. Michael and his angels. Nevertheless, the angels are in rank. And here, this scripture says Michael had such respect for Lucifer that he said, the Lord rebuke you. Book of Acts chapter 19, 
there were seven sons of a Jewish priest, and they were going around casting out demons, at least attempting to. They tried to cast out demons out of this one fellow, and the demons through the guy spoke to them because they said in attempting to cast the demons out, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, and the demons answered through the man, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know about, but who are you? And the man jumped on these seven guys and beat them so badly that they ran out naked and bleeding. Do not underestimate how powerful our adversary and his cohorts are. And understand this, you can't just throw the name of Jesus around and win a victory. He will have you for lunch. You better know Jesus because it's only the power of Jesus. David, before he went out to face Goliath, King Saul said, you're only a a youth. This man's been a warrior from his youth. You can't go out and face him. And so what did King Saul do? King Saul gives little David his own personal armor. David clangs around in it for a few minutes, then goes back to Saul. He says, I can't go in these. How was David used to going? By faith. He had a physical sling, but more important was his spiritual armor. That's what this passage is all about. Ephesians 6, 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, what is done everything? It's putting on the armor and continuing to put it on when the day of evil comes. Let me say just a quick word about that. Jesus said every day has enough evil of its own. But here, this scripture says there's the day of evil. Did you know Satan knows you better than you know you? Think about that. He knows when you were conceived. He knows the family you were born in. He knows what kind of guy attracts you. He knows what kind of girl attracts you. He knows what you like. He knows what you don't like. And so he schemes. He plans. And while every day has enough evil of its own... You better understand, there's a day of evil for every one of us when Satan launches his attack. He's been watching, he's been scheming, he's been planning, and he's looking to take you down and me down. And here's the worst part about it. He doesn't give up. He comes, you win the battle, he goes away, but guess what? He's coming back. In the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus, by Satan... Luke's the only one that tells us, but what a great thing to tell us. And here's what he says. Then Satan left him until an opportune time. You win one battle, he goes away, guess what? He's coming back. That didn't work, we'll try something else. Different tactic. Different maneuver. That's why these pieces of armor are vital. Everyone is vital. Seven pieces. The first, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Some people have suggested the belt of truth is the word of God. They haven't read the whole passage if they say the belt of truth is the word of God. The belt of truth is not the word of God. That's in verse 17. We'll get there in a minute. So what's the belt of truth? Very simply, the belt of truth is what you see 
is what you get. You're not one way here and another way somewhere else. It's the absence of falsehood. You know what falsehood is? Hypocrisy. Now, I'm not trying to be off color with this, but this is the first piece mentioned, and I think it's interesting because this piece, it's the belt of truth. It keeps your spiritual pants up. Because if you have hidden sin, it is only a matter of time before you will be exposed and you will be shamed. Your nakedness will be exposed. John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Some of us are already devoured by Satan. Why? Because you're at church, but you understand the truth is there are things hidden in your life. You've got it hidden. It's habitual sin, and you're devoured. You're defeated. And as many people are here, there's likely someone that this piece of armor is lacking in your life. You're a hypocrite. You're living in habitual sin. And it's only a matter of time before you will be exposed. Numbers 32, 23, you may be sure your sin will find you out. Samson for 20 years went on. Hidden sin in his life. But boy, when he hit the wall, he hit hard. Gehazi, servant of Elisha. Ananias and Sapphira, part of the new church in Jerusalem, the first church. Wonderful church, but they kept back part of money they had sold a piece of land for. They lied. God took their lives as a result, as an example to the church of how serious he is about sin, especially hidden sin, the belt of truth. Piece number two of this armor. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. Some say this is salvation. It's not salvation because that's also in verse 17. So the belt of truth is the lack of falsehood. It's no hypocrisy, no hidden sin. This one, not salvation. So what is it? Righteousness. Peter tells us, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Righteousness is doing what's right according to the scriptures. Romans chapter 6, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. It's practical righteousness. You were living in sexual immorality. Now you know Christ. You've been saved. You no longer want to live in sexual sin. You want to be holy. You want to live a righteous life. You used to be a cheat. You cheated on your taxes. Now that you know the Lord, you don't want to cheat anymore. You used to be a liar. Now you don't want to lie anymore. You want to live a righteous life. Very important piece of armor. It's interesting, the breastplate of righteousness, what it covers. Pretty important organ. The heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Because it's your heart condition that causes you to do what you do. Piece number three. I love this one. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I call this one, and rightly so, gospel shoes. Romans chapter five, now because we have faith in Christ, we have 
peace with God. What a great thing. There are no issues between man and God anymore. I'm not in fear of judgment. I'm not in fear of hell. I have peace with God. Why? Through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now I have peace with God. I am on gospel shoes. And because I have peace with God, now, not only do I want to, but he's commanded me go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. What? That you can have peace with God. One of the letters to the Corinthians, Paul says, we're Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We want to tell people, be reconciled to God. How do you do that? Listen, you can be forgiven. You can have peace with God if you'll just put your faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior. What a great thing to be able to tell somebody. I don't know why everybody wouldn't want it. Maybe everybody wants it, just everybody not willing. Because you got to repent. you got to be willing to turn. Make Christ your Lord and Savior. Gospel shoes. I love the way Isaiah puts it. How beautiful are the, on the mountains are the feet, the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Why? Because they got gospel shoes on, man. They're going and they're going to tell you, you can be saved, you can be forgiven. Armor piece number four, verse 16. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, I have in some old notes probably six or seven arrows, if I remember right, that I suggest Satan loves to shoot at us. But for the sake of this message, I'm going to give you the top two, at least in my opinion. These are the top two that Satan loves to shoot at us. And the shield of faith will extinguish these arrows. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith, your faith may not fail. Suggesting a failure that goes on and on and on. We know Peter's faith failed initially. And what was the arrow that Satan used? It was fear. That's what caused Peter to deny three times that he even knew Jesus Christ. Fear. It's what caused all the disciples initially to flee Jesus at his greatest hour of need. It's what caused King Saul and all the Israelites as they're supposed to be fighting the Philistines and nobody's fighting, especially in light of this giant coming out every day named Goliath, but this young kid named David shows up. And he dons the shield of faith. He does not give in to fear. He says to King Saul, I've gone out watching my father's sheep and a lion came and I faced the lion. A bear came, I faced the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like them because my God who delivered the bear and delivered the lion into my hands will deliver this uncircumcised giant. That's faith. Faith, not fear. God told Gideon, Gideon's got his army, thousands of men. God says, Gideon, tell them if anybody's afraid and doesn't want to go into battle, they can go home. Gideon goes out and says, God said, if anybody's afraid and doesn't want to go into battle, you can go home. 23,000 went home. Fear's a powerful thing.
While Jesus was on earth, he talked a lot about the kingdom of God. But what does this mean for you today? Well, in this series, Pastor Danny looks to scripture to help you further understand what God has in mind for his kingdom. How does it affect you in this moment? What does it mean for you in the future? As you continue to listen to this series, we hope you gain a greater understanding of God's intent for your part in his kingdom. We're thankful that you've chosen to tune in today to The Living Word. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church. Feel free to download or share these teachings with others. You can also visit our YouTube channel. You might be interested in looking back at some previous services that are there as well. Subscribing to our YouTube channel will allow you to be notified as soon as we post anything new. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship for a time of worship and Bible study. You can find out more by going to our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, we offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click the link in the menu. Thanks so much for tuning in today to hear from Pastor Danny right here on The Living Word.